Good evening. Bennett, good job with the prayer. I think this is Bennett's first time to lead a prayer for us. And I was wondering after the song before that if he was going to take advantage of it and lead us in a sweet hour of prayer since this was his first time to, do, to lead us, but he didn't take advantage of it. Uh, that's okay. We're going to have a sweet hour of a lesson, though, I can tell you that. It was funny when I was thinking about saying that. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. I wish y'all could see the pulpit from my vantage point. I, I must have ADHD or something because every time I get up here, I got to touch like all the stuff that's up here in the pulpit. We've got glasses and we've got wires and we've got like multiple of these things. There's a little sleeve, little paper there. and It's like I got to touch it all. And so I'm so distracted by all of this stuff sometimes. But anyway, here we are. Just giving you a little bit of a window into my brain. <laughs> Several years ago, um, a couple of guys were invited to go and have um, a meal with Calvin Coolidge. And they were, they were nervous about that. You can imagine going and having a meal with the president. Um, I suppose that there are, are folks that... Um, or personality types that make us a little bit uncomfortable and the thought of going and having a meal uh, with him or her or them would make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, uh, not, not at peace. And, and these guys are kind of like that. They, they weren't too sure about the idea of going and, and eating with uh, Mr. Coolidge. Well, they talked with one another about it and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're... Um, and we're not used to fancy places and meals and things like that. So we're just going to watch what he does. And whatever he does is what we're going to do. And that way we'll feel, you know, like we're like him. And we're somebody and we know what we're doing. So they sit down at the table and um, he pulls his napkin off the table and puts it on his lap. They pull their napkin off the table and they put it on their lap and... He takes a sip of water, and they take a, a sip of water, and just kind of following everything that he does. And then they notice that he has a, a saucer on the, on the table there, and he takes some cream, and he puts the cream in the saucer, and these fellows, they see they've got a saucer there, and they take some cream, and they put it in the saucer as well, and um, all right, look, are we just going to out of the saucer? And then he takes, Mr. Coolidge takes the saucer and puts it down on the floor for the cat. So these guys, these guys, they had a good plan, but it just didn't work out for them. Well, I, I suspect that on occasions, it may have been a little bit uncomfortable for folks to be in the presence of Jesus. And that's not because Jesus wanted it to be uncomfortable for people. It's not that Jesus wanted to be um, unapproachable. In fact, Jesus was very approachable. But sometimes it's, be it's because, not because of Jesus, but it's because of themselves that they're a little bit uncomfortable being in the presence of the Lord and needing to approach Him. And I think such is the case in Matthew chapter 18. 
And I believe that there's some level of uncomfortability among the disciples in Matthew chapter 18 because they missed the crosstalk. They missed the crosstalk. If you go back to Matthew chapter 16, and if your Bible is like mine, you really don't have to turn a lot. It's just right there. But as I hear the pages, your Bible is not like mine. Uh, But in my Bible, I just leave it open in one spot. And there in Matthew 16, in verse number 23, Jesus has told the disciples that he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer a lot of things among the elders, verse 21. And then he's going to be killed, and then he's going to be raised on the third day, and Peter takes him. I don't know what this means when it says that he took him. Does that mean he took him by the arm? Does that mean he took him by the throat? Does that mean, I mean, what does it mean? I don't know exactly what it means, but it means, but but he says he, he took him. And then he begins to rebuke him. He rebukes him. So what do we know about Peter in that moment? Well, in that very moment, Peter was very uninterested in what the Lord had to say, and he was more captured by what he was going to say. And so he rebukes him. And he says, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned, Jesus turned, and he says to Peter, You're you're going to listen to this. Get behind me, Satan. You get, get behind me, Satan. I don't know how you would feel about that. Number one, Jesus turning to you, and you you can almost see him giving Peter the eye. That's kind of what I envision. Here's Jesus giving the Peter the eye. Excuse me? Do you know who I am? Peter gets the eye of the Lord, if you will, and then the voice of Jesus, which includes name-calling. Is that right? Get behind me, Satan. Well, it seems like it. What does that mean? It means that Peter, in this moment, does not recognize the crosstalk. He doesn't get it. He has appreciation on some level of who Jesus is and what Jesus was there for, but he didn't really understand and grasp the crosstalk. And so Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're standing in the way of progress. You're an offense unto me. You don't savor the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. And I've got to believe that in that moment, that had to hurt a little bit. It had to hurt. Sometimes it's necessary, isn't it? Sometimes it's necessary to hear that stern word from the Lord. And it's okay, we can take it because we know what's on the other side of that. It's a heart of love. You know, in John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved, so, adverb of manner, the the extent of, of that expression For God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, I'm going to take this because I know where it comes from. It comes from a heart of love. And Jesus says to him and to all the disciples there, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. And that doesn't mean that we take up that, that cross and it's to be done with some sense of malice or ill will, anger with God. God, if I'm going to follow you, that means it's going to be drudgery. I've got to pick up a cross and follow. Yeah, it's going to be hard sometimes. But it doesn't mean that we have animosity or ill will toward God because it's the very least that we can do. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward every man according to his works. And I say unto you, most assuredly, there be some standing here which will not taste of death until they see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming in his kingdom. But they didn't fully grasp the cross talk. Pick up your cross and follow me. What would have happened if they really grasped the cross talk? I think in Matthew chapter 18, there are at least three things that they would have gotten a better grasp of. And the first one is found beginning in verse number one. Let's read together. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who? Nope, we're in 18 now. The, sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> if you're watching on the interweb, somebody's Bible app just said chapter 16, but no, we're in chapter 18. At the same time, the disciples said unto, uh, came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Good question. But Jesus calls a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Pause. Children have always been important to Jesus. They've always been important to Jesus. One of the, one of the neatest lessons that I ever um, participated in, if you will. I, I had the opportunity to sit and listen. Um, but one of the neatest lessons that I heard was delivered by a, a preacher from the state of Mississippi. And we were in Brazil together. And in the culture there, language was a barrier for us because it wasn't like some cultures where you could go in from the U.S. and you could speak English, and while English might not be uh, a primary language, it was easily understood by all. And so you could get up and you could just preach in English, and there was no translator. But in this culture, uh, you absolutely had to have a translator. And so he was up and he was preaching in English, and he had his uh, Portuguese translator there. And, but there was some, something that the preacher did that, tr that translated in any language. He went and he picked up a little baby. And he held that baby, and he looked at that baby, and he smiled at that baby, and he rocked that baby. And then he just talked to us about Jesus loving children. Jesus is always always love little children. I want you to look at Mark chapter 10. Leave your finger there in Matthew 18 and go over to Mark chapter 10. 
And listen to these words, in, beginning with verse 13. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come to me, and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. I've never done this, but it just occurred to me, it would be really interesting to go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular and circle every time you find the word kingdom. Because it's important to understand what Jesus had to say about the kingdom. And Jesus says, don't forbid these children to come to me because of such children is the kingdom of God. In other places, such as in Matthew chapter 18, except you become like these children. You can't enter, you can't see the kingdom. Verse 15, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Now try, try to put aside your... Your, your, your worldly 21st century thoughts of don't touch a child lest somebody say something and now you're in trouble. So sad the day and age in which we live. But here's Jesus. And he says to his disciples, don't forbid these little children. I love the little children. And Jesus wanted his disciples t for him to, them to see his love for the little children because he said, look, if you don't become like this, if you don't have hearts like these, you can't really have the kingdom. You go back to Matthew chapter 18 and Jesus again calls the little children to him and he says in verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore, therefore, going back to the previous three verses, whosoever therefore shall be like the little child, humble himself like that child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You ask the question, who is the greatest? Is it this person over here that has a little bit more money in their bank account? Is it this person here who has a few more initials after their last name? Is it this person over here who is well-known in the community or this person over here who's somebody politically or athletically or whatever? Jesus says, no, it's none of those. But it's the one who has the heart of a child, which is a heart of humility. What's the point? The point is, if they had gotten the crosstalk of chapter 16, then perhaps they would have understood something a little bit better about humility. Humility. Look at verse 6. Whoever offends one of these little ones which 
believe in me. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye offends thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than have two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. In verses 6 through 9 in particular, they miss something about personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. And it's interesting here the illustration that's used about accepting responsibility for uh, your involvement in a person losing their connection with God. Losing salvation, we might say. And he says it would be better for that person to have a millstone put about their neck and to be cast out into the sea. This was a horrible thing that the Romans devised in order to execute people. You know, we think often about the cross and how that the Romans were able to really, you know, capitalize on that. And uh, to borrow a term from uh, Wally this morning, to maximize, to maximize how they would put someone to death. But it wasn't just the cross that they would utilize. It was water. And they would often put people to death by taking them out to sea and putting something around them of weight and just casting them overboard. The Jews didn't do that, and this thought scared them to death. And the disciples would have understood something about that. And so Jesus is saying, it is, it is important that you see your own personal responsibility in relation to these little children. And that's something I think that we need to learn. We live in a, an, an age in which personal responsibility is not, is not really valued. It's not taught in some cases by parents. It's not validated by grandparents. It's not really ex expected so much in the classroom. And, and just in society in general, personal responsibility. If you do something wrong, guess what? It's not somebody else's fault. If you make an error in judgment, it wasn't your neighbor who made the error in judgment. If you commit a violation of the law, it wasn't the person in front of you that violated the law that's causing you to get pulled over and maybe even hauled off to jail. But it's you. You did it. Personal responsibility. 
And yet the disciples missed something about that because they missed the cross talk. That you're going to have to take up your cross and you're going to have to, on occasion, say, I messed up, I sinned, forgive me, turn from it, and do better. Well, how do I do that? I've, I have, you don't know, Neil, I, I've, I've, I've been messing up for a long time. I have done, committed one transgression after another. I, I, I have blamed everybody, as the expression goes, and their brother and their mother. I don't know if that's an expression. Maybe I just made it up. But, but I'm blaming everybody else but me. And I've done it for so long, I don't know what to do. Aren't you thankful that the Bible has an answer for all of that stuff? It has an answer for everything. Again, we leave our finger in Matthew 18, but we go over to the book of Revelation. And as the Holy Spirit is, through John, talking to the seven churches of Asia, He says, you know, you folks in Ephesus, you've got some good qualities there. You, la you labor, you have patience. And you can't bear them that are evil. You found some of them liars. But I've got something against you. You know, they could have rested on their laurels and said, you know what? We've done a lot of good stuff. I mean, we've gotten a lot of things, things right. And yeah, we've, we've messed up... In, in one area, but that's not really our fault. It's the pressure. It's the pressure of, of all of these other people. They're, they're the ones who have caused us to lose our first love, verse 4. But John tells us they didn't do that. John says, here's what you do to accept individual responsibility to make the change, he says, remember. Remember where you messed up. Remember, therefore, for once thou art fallen, and then repent. Repentance does not mean that we change our actions. I, I think we've said that for years, that repentance is a change of action. And maybe we've said repentance is a change of life. And neither one of those things are repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Guess what happens when we change our mind? We change our actions. And we change our life. That's why the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It begins with the heart, it begins with the mind. And John says, remember and then repent, change your mind, and go back to doing your first works, or else I will come unto you quickly. And I'll remove the candlestick out of its place, except you change your mind. And take personal responsibility. What happens when you miss the crosstalk? You miss some of the most fundamental lessons of Jesus. Be humble. Recognize that you have some personal responsibility in life. 
And then look at verse 10 again. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Little ones sometimes is a reference to disciples and not the little children, as was previously used in verse 3. But little ones, perhaps disciples here. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye? That is a great question. How think ye? What do you think about? What occupies your mind? I remember when I was at Fried Hardeman, David Life was one of my professors, and he was, he was a great professor. He taught logic one night, and I went to that night class. And he was a unique fellow, and he would tell you that. He, he was. But he was so cool because he liked cars, and I liked cars, and he would talk about cars, and now he's preaching the gospel and working on cars. That just sounds like fun. But on one occasion during a break, just, just he and I, and we happened to uh, be in the restroom and, and uh, you know, flush the toilet and wash our hands and then going back to class. And in that process, he said, you know, Brother Neil, I just think about some of the, some of the weirdest things sometimes. Like, how many gallons of water does the university go through every time that we flush these toilets and wash our hands? I don't know, Brother Light. That's a good question. How think ye? <laughs> what, do, what do you think about? Well, Jesus asked the question, how think ye? Here's a man that has a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray. Doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which was gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I don't know about you, but if I have a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, maybe is you know, being pursued by a wild animal, or maybe has fallen off of a cliff and is just sort of hanging on, I don't know if I'm going to be so inclined to go after that one sheep because 99 sounds like a pretty good number to me. Have you ever taken a test and when you, you take that test, you get your grade back and you look and it says 99%. Do you go back to the teacher and say, wait, teach, I want that extra percent. I want 100%. I know some of you are overachievers and you want that extra percent, but 99 is pretty good. But Jesus says, 99 is not good enough. We don't want to lose one. Not one. Now there's something that's, that's within the text that 
I don't want us to overlook. And that is our responsibility as disciples of Jesus to be shepherds. To be shepherds. When we think about the church of the Lord and, and the, the, the dynamics of the church and the breakdown of the church, you know, we think about it from the, the standpoint of, well, we have, we have elders under Jesus, of course. We have elders and, and we have deacons and we have members. And, and, and please don't misunderstand. It's not elders and deacons and preachers or in some groups, preachers and elders and deacons or any combination. It's elders, we've got deacons and special servants, and we have members. And we're all family, right? And we think, well, those, those leaders, and I don't mean that in the broad sense in which we're all leaders, but I mean, I mean those specific leaders that are sometimes called bishops and sometimes called overseers and sometimes in, in my preference, shepherds. They have a very specific role. According to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and elsewhere, Acts 20, verse 8. They have a very specific role. And they're going to give an account of, of, of that role and how they shepherded the, the body. We understand that. And the Bible tells us that one of these days they're going to stand before the Lord and give, give that account. And, and having done a good job, the Bible says they're going to receive a crown of life just like we're all going to receive. But they're also going to, to receive a crown of glory, indicating like a bonus award, so to speak. But I don't want us to, to think that they are the only shepherds that make up the body of Christ. They're the only shepherds in the sense that they have the oversight and are giving account of that specific oversight of the body, and they are making decisions in matters of expediency for the congregation. But there is a sense in which each and every one of us is to be a shepherd within the body of Christ. We're all looking out for one another. We're all looking for that one, for that one. And that's a heavy responsibility. It's a big deal. This, this afternoon we were in a meeting, the EDP meeting. Elders, deacons, preachers, in case you didn't know what that EDP stood for. I, I remember going to EDP meetings years ago, and I, had, I just thought I was supposed to go, but I had no idea what EDP meant. And uh, then I realized, oh, wait a second. Elders, deacons, preachers, duh, okay. Well, we had one of those meetings this afternoon. And um, I had mentioned over the course of the meeting that uh, Wendell Winkler, who was one of my preaching heroes, he, he talked about this responsibility that we have to be, um, to evangelize, to edify, and to enlist. And that's kind of what we do as a church. Well, Brother, Brother Winkler he told the story one time of his father-in-law, who was an elder in the church. And he said that he never went to a funeral service without walking up to the casket and looking at that body within the casket and saying, what am I going to say at the judgment bar of Christ for you? 
that sounds heavy. That sounds like a burden. And that's why not everybody can be an elder in the sense of 1 Timothy chapter 3. But it's also a heavy burden for all of us to think about. I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 34 just to kind of see the weight that really we're all under because we're all shepherds. We're all looking out for one another. Ezekiel 34. Therefore, verse 7, Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of Jehovah. As I live, says Jehovah God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of Jehovah. Thus saith Jehovah God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus says Jehovah God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. That is a judgment that God puts on the shepherds for not seeing and tending to the flock. And I don't know about you, but that, that is a scary, scary thought. But it could be for all of us. Not just the overseers of the church. So, they miss the crosstalk. And in missing the crosstalk, we miss, we miss what Jesus intends for us to understand about being humble. We miss what Jesus intends for us to understand about personal responsibility, and we miss what Jesus intends for us to understand about the important role that we each have as a shepherd within the body of himself, the church of Christ. And so, what's the point? Don't miss the crosstalk. Don't miss it. Sometimes we have good intentions. We're like Peter. Yes, Lord, I, I, I hear you. You're going to be taken. You're going to go to the cross. You're going you're to die, but we're not going to let that happen. Because that doesn't meet what we think should happen. And so, over my dead body, Peter says, if you will, get thee behind me, Satan. You're standing in my way. You're getting in the way of progress. Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. Take up your cross and follow me. Don't miss the crosstalk. If you've missed the crosstalk and you're not a Christian, 
come to him in that penitent faith, changing your mind and having a faith that says, Jesus, you're now going to be the Lord of my life and I'm willing and ready to be immersed in water for the remission of my sins and I will bear the cross. And I will try to be humble and I will try to bear personal responsibility and I will be one of the many shepherds among shepherds in the flock. I'll do that. Maybe you haven't been. Maybe you, maybe you haven't caught the cross talk lately. Go back. Revisit it. See what changes you need to, be, you need to make. And then make them. You can do it. We can do it. We can all be better. If tonight's invitation is yours, make it so. Together we stand and as we sing.